This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. I'd like to welcome you to Focus on God's Word, where we are at the end of this six-part series as we discover God's wonderful truth for these last days. As I've shared earlier, I've entitled this series End Time Apocalypse as we take a look at the very heart of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, 13 and 14, where we have been journeying over these past five sessions. And this is our our final session together. And um, if you have missed any of the previous session, I'd encourage you to catch up in order to see where we are in this particular session. So I want to welcome you all here um, at the 3ABN studio here in Morissette, New South Wales, Australia. All those who are watching in Australia, wherever you may be, a warm welcome to you, as well as to those who are watching around the world via the internet or on your TV screens, or you may be listening on radio, wherever you are. May God bless you as we journey through God's word together. I'm excited about this journey that we have been in as we have taken a look at this all-important message from the book of Revelation, the heart of the book of Revelation, where God unwraps for us His final message of love in those three angels' messages that we have gone through time and time again. So before we begin, as always, what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit that inspired the prophets of Scripture will impress and inspire us here together as we journey through His Word. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that as we open your Holy Word and once again look at the book of Revelation, once again go to the very heart of the book of Revelation, we ask and pray that your Holy Spirit will lead and guide us. May your Holy Spirit give me the words to share that you would have me share. And may our ears and especially our hearts be opened to receive your word, for this is our earnest prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the last program, we discovered that God, in a very beautiful way, describes his end time church in the book of Revelation, in particular in Revelation chapter 12. And we discovered a number of uh, key identification marks that God has given to us in the book of Revelation to help us understand the church or the movement that he has raised up at the end of time to proclaim the gospel or the everlasting gospel to the entire world. We discovered that God has raised up indeed a people. He's raised up a church at the end of time to share his final message of love. And that church is the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, does that mean the Seventh-day Adventist church is perfect? Far from it, because the Seventh-day Adventist church is made up of individuals who are less than perfect. However, this is a church that God can point to at the end of time based on the book of Revelation that we have discovered together and say, this is my church. This is, this is my movement. This is the message that I have ordained for this group of people to preach. So we looked at that in our last presentation. Now we looked at seven identification marks that I briefly want to go through once again with you as we plunge into uh, an identification mark that we have not had the opportunity to examine that we will be doing in this presentation. We discovered that God's end time church that Revelation identifies It's called the remnant. That is, it stands on God's word alone. It keeps all of God's Ten Commandments, including the Fourth Commandment. 
It will have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, that is our subject for for today. It has the patience of Jesus. It has the faith of Jesus, faith in Jesus. It will arise after 1798. That is after the 1260 year prophecy in the United States of America. And finally, it will be a worldwide movement that will preach the everlasting gospel, God's final message of love to the world. Now, we have discovered that this is none other than the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the only church in the entire world that fulfills each and every one of these seven identification marks that God has given in the book of Revelation. Now, we need to take a look at this third all-important identification mark that clearly identifies the Seventh-day Adventist Church as God's end-time church. And so together we want to take a look at the testimony of Jesus Christ. God's church will have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, as we go to the book of Revelation, we go to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, and there we have a description of God's end time people. Notice these words. And the dragon, and who is the dragon? That's the devil and Satan. Was enraged with the woman, and who is the woman? It's the church. We've identified that already. And he went to make war with the rest or the remnant of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, there we have a definition for what the testimony of Jesus Christ is. Notice these words from Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. John writes, And I fell at his feet, that is at the feet of the angel that is about to give him this message to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John was clearly told by the angel that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy or the prophetic gift. Now, the angel here shares that he is also one of the brethren. The brethren, according to Revelation 22 verses 8 and 9, are the prophets. God's mouthpiece that God has used in order to communicate his truth with his people and ultimately with the world. In Revelation chapter 1, right at the very outset there, the Bible tells us that John received the testimony of Jesus. So a prophet is someone who shares the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, we have just read in Revelation 12 verse 17 that the dragon is angry with those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, with those who have the prophetic gift. We know that. Because in the very first chapter of Revelation, notice what John says regarding why he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. Notice these words in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. John writes, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the what? For the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was imprisoned because of his faithfulness and commitment to the Word of God, as well as to the testimony of Jesus Christ, being faithful to God in the message that God had entrusted to him as a prophet of God to share with the seven churches, ultimately to share with the entire world and especially prepare the people of God for the second coming of Jesus. 
Now, as we discover in Scripture, we discover that prophets were not God's original plan for communicating His message with us. God's original plan was to speak with us face to face. Isn't that right? Through Adam, to Adam and Eve, God spoke face to face. However, after sin entered the world, God now had to speak through his prophets because he could no longer communicate face to face with Adam and Eve because they were now sinners. And a sinner cannot communicate face to face with God. It's what sin does. It separates us from God. So in order to communicate with us, God needed to send prophets. Prophets are God's mouthpieces for communicating with us. The Old and the New Testament records the names of men and women who were used by God as his prophets and prophetesses all the way through Scripture. God used his prophets in order to communicate his truth his love with his people. In fact, the truth is that without the prophetic voice, God's people would not have survived the devil's attacks. Prophets kept God's people on track through their counsel and their prophecies. Notice what we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 19. He that is God sent prophets to them, that is to his people, to bring them up. Back to who? Back to the Lord. And they testified against them. But sadly, the rest of the verse goes on and says, but they would not listen. God sent prophet after prophet to his people. And and the sad history as we read the Bible is that on most occasions, God's people did not listen to the prophet that God sent to them, which was the message that God had for them. Now, what was... God's primary manner of communicating with his prophets. Notice what we read in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6. The Bible says, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a what? In a vision, I speak to him in a dream. So God's primary method of communication through his prophets was to give them visions and dreams. He He shared his message in this way. There are times in Scripture when when God speaks face to face. And we have that in the case of Moses. God veiled his glory, obviously. Otherwise, no human, no mortal can, can exist and survive in the very presence of God as a sinner. But God spoke to Moses face to face. The Bible says to Abraham also. We have one of the angels who we know was Jesus Christ himself. The pre-incarnate Christ spoke with Abraham. God also sent angels at different times to communicate his message. But visions and dreams was the primary method that God used in order to communicate his message to his servants, the prophets. The devil knows how important the gift of prophecy is to God's people and to the world. He understands how vital prophets are to God's cause, and he seeks to derail God's purposes by sending many false prophets. That's just how the enemy works. He wants to derail the plans of God and the purposes of God. He ultimately does not want us to understand what God's truth is, us to accept and experience the truth as God's prophets and God's servants would share it. Jesus, in fact, 
in Matthew chapter 7 made that abundantly clear. Notice the words of Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice Jesus said, There will be many false prophets that the enemy will raise up who will prophesy in the name of Jesus. But yet they are not prophesying in the name of Jesus. They haven't been sent by Jesus. They've been sent by the enemy, but they are claiming they have been sent by Jesus. They are claiming that they are a mouthpiece of God when in actual fact they are not. Jesus said, watch out, there will be many false prophets. But notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, beware of everyone and anyone who claims to be a prophet. Jesus never said that. And we know in the New Testament, after Jesus went to heaven, we know that God sent prophets to his New Testament church, both men and women, in order to lead and guide and direct the people of God that they may be effective in reaching out to the people of this world in sharing the gospel. So the question is, how can we determine whether a person is a true or a false prophet? Let me tell you a story. I don't know if you're aware of this, but at the moment in Australia, there are countless thousands upon thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of counterfeit $5, $10, $20, $50, and even $100 notes circulating. How many of you are aware of that? Okay. If you're not, I have just made you aware. (laughs) So be aware. The... Most commonly counterfeited note here in Australia at the moment is the $50 bill. And there was a a news report in the Newcastle Herald not so long ago where the headline read, fake $50 bills so good they even fool the banks. Very, very, very good counterfeits. Now, On this particular Saturday night, back in 2014, I'm having a discussion with my mother, who at the time, my mother and father were living in a little country town in Victoria called Pylong. How many of you have heard of Pylong? One of you have because you have been there. The rest of you haven't, but now you have. Little Pylong in the middle of nowhere, about an hour and a half out of Melbourne. Anyway, my mum and dad were there and I'm chatting to my mum on a Saturday night, just asking how's life? Anything new happened this week? And usually the answer is what? Nothing new has happened. Everything is the same as it was when I spoke to you last. But this time my mum says to me, yes, there is something new. I think I'm in the possession of counterfeit $50 notes. And I'm like, really? How on earth did you get hold of counterfeit $50 notes? And she says, well, I read about it in my local paper. There's a number of counterfeit $50 notes circulating in the area. And I think I've got several of them. And I'm like, really? And she's like, really? Maybe you do too, Danny. And I'm like, 
Well, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, how do you know they're counterfeit? So my mum said, go and find all the $50 notes you can find in the house. So first of all, I went to my wallet and discovered how many were there in my wallet. None. Zero. <laughs> Guess where they all were? In my wife's wallet. Yes. So I went to my wife's wallet and lo and behold, all the $50 notes were there. <laughs> And anyway, so I pull out all these $50 notes. I get back on the phone and I'm chatting to my mum and I'm like, how do you know whether it's a, a fake $50 note and how do you know whether it's the real deal? So here's a couple of $50 notes. And she said, one of these, as I went through them, she says, one of these was fake. Now, which one was the fake one? Let me put them up on the screen for you. The top one there is a fake a counterfeit. The bottom one is the real deal, according to what my mum said. Now, why is that? At the bottom here of the of the fifty dollar note, the 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 one the one at the bottom. Notice there is the name of the person whose portrait appears on the fifty dollar note. Can you see that, Edith Cowan? Can you see it on the top one? No, you can't. Let's go to the next slide. On the back side, notice the bottom one has the name. That's the real deal. The top one is the counterfeit. It doesn't have the name according to what my mom said. And I'm like, wow, I've got one of those. So what do you do when you have a counterfeit note or you think you have a counterfeit note? What are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to take it back to the bank or to the police station. Now, there's good news and there's bad news. Which one would you rather, the good news or the bad news? The good news is, I'll start off with the good news. The good news is, if it's not a counterfeit $50 note, the bank or the police station give that money back to you. The bad news is, if it is a counterfeit $50 note, they keep it and you don't get it back. So I'm like, what are we going to do, mum? And she's like, well, if I give it and it's a counterfeit note, I've lost $50. If I pass it on to someone else, they won't know and I'll be okay. But I'm like, that's wrong, mum. We can't do that. So either we go to jail and do the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing in God's eyes. So what is my mum and I supposed to do? Now, as I'm talking to my mum, I decided, hang on a minute. Let me check this out. Let me check out what my mother has been taught to believe is a counterfeit $50 note, whether this is really true or not. So while I'm talking to my mum, my mum didn't have the internet at that time, but I certainly did. So I go online and I decide to go to the Reserve Bank of Australia website. So I go to the Reserve Bank of Australia website and there um, on the website, as you can see, get to know your banknotes. And there is a section there that deals with counterfeits. So I'd clicked on counterfeit and notice what I discovered. Common myths about, about banknotes. Notice, myth, banknotes without the printed name below the portrait are counterfeit. That's a myth. <sighs> the truth, the fact, a banknote without the name of the person below the portrait is not necessarily counterfeit. Printed names were added to Australian banknotes from 2002. This was done to help the public identify the people that our banknotes feature. I was like, Mom, good news. You're not going to lose your $50. You don't have counterfeit $50 notes. You're all good. You're all in the clear. Now, do you know your $50 banknote? Do you know whether it's a counterfeit or a genuine? Well, you can go to the website there and you'll discover how you can spot a counterfeit banknote. There are eight different points there to help you know whether it's the real deal or whether it's not the real deal. The message from the Reserve Bank of Australia was 
Get to know your banknotes. I have a message for you. I have a message for all of us. Get to know your Bible. Get to know your Bible. If you and I know what this book teaches, you and I will never, ever be deceived. The only way to remain undeceived is to get to know your Bible. How did I know the truth? Whether my mum and whether I was in the possession of a, of a counterfeit $50 note, I had to go to the Reserve Bank of Australia. I went to the official source. The official source for the Christian, my friend, is the Bible. Get to know your Bible. The only way to remain undeceived in the end is to know the Scriptures. So how are we going to test whether someone is a true prophet of God? How are we going to do that? Through the Bible. Through the Bible. Does the Bible give us tests that we can conduct to ascertain whether a woman or a man is a genuine prophet of God or not? Indeed, the Bible does. Notice what we read. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we read these words. John writes, Beloved, the same John that wrote the book of Revelation, do not believe every spirit, but do what? Test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. So we need to test the spirits. Now, there are a number of tests given in the Bible whereby we can test whether someone is a genuine prophet of God or not. There's at least half a dozen or more. Today, we are going to look at the three primary tests of how we can test whether a person is a true prophet of God or not. Test number one. Biblical tests of a true prophet, the prophet must, must teach in harmony with the Bible. There must be biblical faithfulness. How important do you think that is? Yeah. Absolutely important. Who is the ultimate author of the Scriptures? It's God through His Holy Spirit, inspired and impressed men to write the Scriptures, to write the Word of God. So a true prophet of God must teach in harmony with the Bible. If they do not, they get the gong. Well, they get the whammy and it's all over. You can dismiss them as a false prophet if they do not teach in harmony with the scriptures. That's test number one. Notice what we read in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is how much light in them? There is no lot. The law and the testimony is a reference for all of scripture. The law being the first five books of Moses, the testimony being the prophetic books of the Old Testament that continue on all the way to the very end. Let's have a look at test number two. There must be prophetic accuracy. Notice what we read in Jeremiah 28 verse 9. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So when the word of the prophet comes to pass, you and I will know that that prophet has truly been sent by God. Now, why does Jeremiah here speak of uh, for the prophet that prophesies peace? You see, in his day, Jeremiah was saying very clearly, God has told me, unless we repent, unless we turn back to God, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to besiege our city. They're going to destroy our temple. They're going to take us away captive to Babylon. But Satan raised up false prophets who said, no, 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 no. Don't listen to Jeremiah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. There will be peace. There will be safety. All is well. And that's why Jeremiah says, if the prophet prophesies peace and it happens, well, then it's from God. 
But if there is no peace, then it's not from God. And most of the time, if you read scripture, you'll discover that the prophets did not prophesy peace because God's people weren't on the right track. God's people were on the wrong track and God was seeking through his prophets to bring them back on the right track. Let's take a look at uh, number three. The third test that the Bible gives us as to whether a person is a true prophet of God or not is spiritual fruitage. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus said, you and I will know whether a person is a true prophet of of God or not by the fruit. Now, what fruit was Jesus referring to in particular? It's the fruit that we find Paul speaking of in Galatians chapter 5. Notice these words from the Apostle Paul. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As I take a look at these characteristics, these are the exact characteristics that Jesus had in his life. Isn't that right? Jesus had all these qualities. These were beautiful character traits that Jesus had. And so what God is saying, what Jesus is saying, you will know them by their fruits. Are they reflecting my character? Are they Christ-like in how they live their lives? It's one thing for a prophet to say this or that or the other. It's another thing to take a look at how they live their lives. A very, very important test, the test of spiritual fruitage. So the question is, how should we relate to those who pass all the biblical tests of a true prophet of God? Notice what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things which we have done and hold fast to what is what? Good. So we are to test all things. Do not despise prophecy and hold fast what is good. So when you and I come across a true prophet of God that passes all of the tests of a true prophet, we are to embrace the message of that prophet. Because that prophet is speaking to us on behalf of who? On behalf of God. So by embracing the message of the prophet, we are embracing the message of God himself. For God himself is communicating to his people and to the world through a prophet. Now, were were prophets perfect individuals? Absolutely not. Prophets were sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the message that the prophet of God shared was from God and needed to be heeded for those who were concerned about their eternal well-being. Now, there are two ways. There are probably more, but there are two important ways that you and I are not to test whether a person is a true prophet of God or not. And the first one is miracles. Notice what Jesus had to say. In Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show what? Great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even who? The elect. So the devil will raise up false prophets that will perform great signs and miracles in order to deceive if possible, even the very elect. 
The Bible tells us that the devil has the power to perform miracles, great miracles, beyond what you and I can even begin to imagine. He has the ability that God has given him to, to, to transform himself into an angel of light. So just because a prophet is performing miracles, that does not mean that they have been sent from God. Jesus was abundantly clear in what he had to say. Here is the second way we are not to test a true prophet of God, and that is popularity. Will the true prophet of God be popular? Notice what Jesus said once again in Matthew 23, verse 37. He's speaking to the religious leaders, and this is what Jesus says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's speaking to his people. The one who does what? kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Sadly, down through history, the Bible is filled with one prophet after another being persecuted for the simple reason that their message was not popular. Just because a message is popular does not mean that message has been sent by God. In fact, if I read my Bible correctly, and I believe I do, the majority of God's prophets were not received by the people of God. That is because what is popular is not necessarily what God's truth is and vice versa. You see, that which is popular, we love, we enjoy, but that's not always in our best eternal interest. Isn't that right? So God sends prophets not that they may be popular, but that God's people through them might be saved, that they may be turned back onto the right path. As we discovered earlier in that scripture that we read, God sent them prophet after prophet. But sadly, in most cases, they ignored the prophet's warning. Or as Jesus pointed out, they stoned and they killed the prophets. In fact, in fact, let's not go beyond John the Baptist. John the Baptist, whom Jesus labeled as the greatest of all the prophets. What happened to him? He was beheaded. His life, his life came to an end. Did the religious establishment by and large accept the message of John the Baptist? No, they didn't. So we are not to test whether a person is a true prophet of God or not based on popularity. Before any major event took place, God raised up a prophet to foretell and warn the inhabitants. An invitation to follow God and be saved was given. Let me give you just a few examples. Before I do, notice what Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 says. God says, Surely the Lord God does how much? Nothing, unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. We have looked at this scripture in the past. And this scripture simply tells us that everything and anything that is of eternal value, God will not allow to come across our path without first and foremost, God raising up a prophet in order to warn the inhabitants of the world, in order to warn his people, in order to prepare his people for what is about to come. Notice some examples that we have in Scripture. We have Noah. God raised up Noah. He was his prophet to prepare the world for the flood. Isn't that right? God also raised up Moses to prepare the children of Israel to leave Egypt and to move into the promised land. 
A little later on, God raised up Jeremiah and other prophets in order to warn His people that destruction was imminent if they would continue to turn their backs on God and continue to allow the enemy to lead and to guide the nation. We do not need to go any further into the New Testament as we read those first few pages of the New Testament, we discover that God sent another prophet. This time, God sent who? John the Baptist. God sent John the Baptist to prepare his people, to prepare the world to receive the Messiah at his first advent. Before any and every major event in human history, God has always raised up a prophet in order to prepare the people of God and to invite the people of God to follow God, to be ready and to be prepared for Him. We are now on the verge, we are now on the edge of eternity. We are now at a point where Jesus is about to come. If God in the past has raised up a prophet before a major event each and every time as we go through Scripture, can we be certain that God will once again raise up a prophet at the end of time to prepare the world for the greatest event in all of human history, the second coming of Jesus? I believe we can, for this is exactly how God has worked in the past. Now, will God raise up a prophet in the last days? What does Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17 make absolutely abundantly clear? It says the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation makes it abundantly clear that in God's end time church, in this end time prophetic movement, as we discovered in our previous presentation, that God has raised up, God will raise up the testimony of Jesus Christ that we have discovered based on Revelation 19.10 is the spirit of what? The spirit of prophecy or the prophetic gift. So we are to expect God to raise up a prophet at the end of time to prepare the people of God, to prepare the entire world for the second coming of Jesus. We are to expect that based on what God has shared with us in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. So let's ask the all important $1 million question. Has God blessed the Seventh-day Adventist church with the gift of prophecy? God's end-time remnant church, God's end-time remnant movement. And the answer is yes. Right on time, God raised up a prophet in the Seventh-day Adventist church and her name was Ellen G. White. At the age of 17, in 1844, December 1844, God raised up this 17-year-old weak teenager with a third grade education and he invited her to be his mouthpiece. And over a period of 70 years, Ellen White ministered as a prophet of God on behalf of God to his people and as we'll discover to the entire world. I find it fascinating that the very first vision that God gave Ellen White, and he gave her some 2,000 vision, visions and dreams in the course of those seven decades that she ministered. The very first vision that God gave her when he invited her to be a prophet was a vision of God's people 
walking along this narrow path that led to the New Jerusalem with Jesus right there at the, at the entrance of the New Jerusalem. And as long as God's people kept their eyes firmly on Jesus and continued to walk on this narrow path that led upward, that would be safe and secure for all eternity in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Now, I find it fascinating that the very first vision that God gave Ellen White when he invited her to the prophetic ministry was to invite God's people to remain on that narrow path that Jesus said, we need to remain on that narrow path in Matthew chapter 7 and to keep our eyes firmly on Jesus. Isn't that the message that God's people need at the end of time? Isn't that the message that the world needs at the end of time during the darkest phase in earth's history? Just before the coming of Jesus, we need to keep our bright and we need to keep our eyes firmly placed on Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. There are two key principles that Ellen White's writings fall into, two overall foundations, and here they are. Ellen White's messages can be summed up in these two statements. Number one, they are saturated with the Word of God. And number two, they continually point to Jesus. Ellen White's writings filled with the Word of God, as we would expect from a true prophet of God, and pointing people continually to who? To Jesus. Doesn't that remind us of John the Baptist, who who continually cried out, Behold who? the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Notice these interesting facts regarding Ellen White and her ministry. She ministered, as I pointed out, over a period of 70 years. She received approximately 2,000 visions and dreams. She wrote 40 books and 5,000 periodical articles, a total of 50,000 pages. She is the most translated woman author of all time. She wrote concerning religion, education, family and social relationships, evangelism, prophecy, publishing, nutrition and many other topics. And she lectured on three different continents. This is a woman with a third grade education. How many years of schooling did she have? Only three years, only three years. And yet she wrote on this vast array of topics. And it's interesting what she wrote, as we'll discover in just a moment. But before we do that, we need to ask the question, how are we to test Ellen White? Do we go to Google to find out whether Ellen White is a true prophet of God? Yes or no? No. 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 I put in a search in Google just the other day. I just typed in Ellen G. White and I came up with some 30 million websites that have something to say about Ellen White. Now, sadly, the ma- a great many, I don't know whether it's the majority or the minority, but a great many of those websites say all sorts of untruths about Ellen White and her ministry, twisting her words and twisting her statements out of context and so on and so forth. Now, that doesn't surprise me. That does not surprise me one little bit, because if God was to raise up a true prophet, the enemy would be just as quick in order to seek to in order to seek to find a way to dis 
disown this individual as a true prophet of God, to discount this person as a true prophet of God. So how are we to test whether Ellen White is the real deal or not? Where are we to go? To, to Google? No, we are to go to God's word. We are to go to the Bible and test whether she is a true prophet of God. So let's do that. Let's go to the Bible and discover whether Ellen White passes these three tests of a, of, of a true prophet of God that we have established. Firstly, biblical faithfulness. Was she faithful to the Bible? Notice what she writes. In our time, there is a wide departure from there. She's speaking of the reformers, doctrines and precepts. And there is a need of a return to the great Protestant principle, the Bible and the Bible only as the rule of faith and duty. That's from the book, Great Controversy. Notice another statement. The Lord has sent his people much instruction, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Little heed is given to the Bible and the Lord has given a lesser light. She's speaking of her writings and her ministry to lead men and women to the greater light. Now, what do you think the greater light is here that she's referring to? To the Bible. Oh, how much good would be accomplished if the books containing this light were read with a determination to carry out the principles they contain. You see, if God's people would simply heed the word of God, there was no need for God to send a prophet. If God's people would simply have heeded the word of God. Let's take a look at, two, at, 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 at these books. These books here that, that I have up there on the screen are filled with the scriptures. There are two books in particular that I treasure. The book Steps to Christ and the book Desire of Ages. These two books are absolutely precious and they tell you all about Jesus. You and I today have the opportunity to read these books and to ask whether they pass that test of biblical faithfulness or not. I like to refer to Ellen White's ministry as a magnifying glass. You familiar with a magnifying glass? What does a magnifying glass do? A magnifying glass simply magnifies what's already on the page. Isn't that right? A magnifying glass is not designed to bring out something new, something that's not on the page. Isn't that right? Ellen White's writings, Ellen White's ministry was simply aimed by God to magnify what is already in his word, not to add from, not to add to his word, not to subtract from his word, but to simply make it abundantly crystal clear to the people of God and to the world as to what God had instructed in his word. Ellen White is that magnifying glass through whom you and I can understand the will and the ways of God through his word in a more clear way. Does that make sense? Yes or no? I hope you will remember that. God's word is to be trusted above and beyond everything and anything else. Let's take a look at this second test. Did God through Ellen White bring about prophetic accuracy? Are her writings prophetically accurate? Well, let's take a look at uh, some statements that she made regarding health. There, are, there is so much we can share, but we don't have time. But I just want to take a look at just a couple of statements. Notice what she wrote back in 1864. Tobacco is a poison of the most deceitful and malignant kind. It is all the more dangerous because its effects upon the system are slow and scarcely perceivable. Now, how many of you believe that to be true? Absolutely. We know that to be true. 
That's a no-brainer. However, the amazing thing is that Ellen White is writing this in 1864 when doctors were prescribing cigarettes and cigars for those who suffered from emphysema, had asthma or other lung or lung ailments, as you do. You prescribe smoking to someone who's got problem breathing, don't you? No, you don't. But that's what doctors were prescribing back in 1864 when she wrote this. No one had any idea back then that smoking causes cancer, that it is just as she said, a dangerous a dangerous and, and malignant evil poison is the word that she uses and its effects upon the system are slow and scarcely perceivable. Notice it was in 1957. It wasn't until 1957, almost one century later, that the American Heart Association concluded that smoking was a causative factor in lung cancer. She was 100 years ahead of her time. This was the front cover of National Geographic magazine back in November of 2005. The Secrets of Living Longer. And in this particular um, edition of National Geographic, they looked at places around the world where people live the longest and they live the healthiest. And they discovered that there is a group of people in a little place there in the United States of America that are part of the longevity all-stars. That place being Loma Linda there in California. And they live longer than any other American citizen by average, seven to 10 years longer because of the health and the lifestyle that they have adopted. Now, this same study came out just recently in this Time magazine, which I subscribe to. And the title on the front cover was How to Live Longer Better. And if we go to the next slide, you'll discover that there are five zones in the world. They call them the blue zones, um, where people live the longest and they are the healthiest. Uh, There is one in Sardinia, Italy. There's another one in Okinawa in Japan. There's another one in Nicoya, Costa Rica. There's another one in, in Icaria in Greece. And then, as I pointed out, there is another blue zone in Loma Linda, California. Now, what is fascinating about this study is that those other four zones are specifically dealing with regions, are dealing with a, a section of the population in that particular country that based on where it lives, based on the environment, based on their food and their diet, they are living longer than those um, citizens of their country. However, what they are discovering is that Seventh-day Adventist Christians in Loma Linda are experiencing the same blessings as those in Sydney, in those in, in, in Melbourne, those wherever around the world who have adopted the same diet also. It doesn't matter where you live. You don't need to live in Loma Linda. You can experience the same blessings. How about, how, how did the church come about the health message? God, through the gift of prophecy, gave this wonderful message. Notice this. This statement by Dr. Clive McKay, former professor of nutrition at Cornwell University, this is what he wrote. In spite of the fact that the works of Mrs. White were written long before the advent of modern scientific nutrition, there is no better overall guide today. No better overall guide today. 
Notice what else we, we read from Dr. James Dobson, uh, the founder and the president of Focus on the Family. Uh, this is what he wrote. Her books on the family are excellent. They are his words. And if she were alive today, we would be of a kindred spirit. How could this woman with a third grade education write so prolifically and so accurately on so many subjects from health to family to to Bible prophecy? It is because God inspired her through his Holy Spirit. It was God that gave her the messages and not messages that she came up with herself. Let's take a look at this second test. Third test, I should say. Applying these prophetic tests to Ellen White, we need to apply the the test of spiritual fruitage. What did Jesus say? By their fruits, you will what? By their fruits, you will know them. Are they exhibiting the character of Jesus Christ? Is the character of Jesus Christ evident in their lives, in their day to day work? Notice what was written regarding Ellen White at the end of her life after she had passed away by the newspaper there in St. Helena, California, July 1915. These are the words, not by a Seventh-day Adventist, but by a newspaper that is reflecting on the life of Ellen White. Notice these words. The life of Mrs. White is an example worthy of emulation by how many? By all. She was a humble, devout disciple of Christ and ever went about doing good. She was honored and respected by all who appreciate noble womanhood, consecrated to unselfish labor for the uplifting and betterment of mankind. Her death marks the calling of another noted leader of religious thought and one whose almost 90 years were full to overflowing with what? Good deeds, kind words and what? earnest prayers for how much of mankind? All mankind. Ellen White passed this third all-important test of a true prophet of God. Her life was one that emulated the life and the ministry and the love of Jesus Christ. As the newspaper so well put it, she went about doing good deeds, sharing kind words and praying earnestly for all not just for Seventh-day Adventists, but for all. God blessed this woman in every sense of the word, including the character of Jesus Christ, which she received as she accepted the role of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Did she make mistakes? Absolutely. Was she a sinner? Yes. Did God use her as a mouthpiece? Indeed, the answer is yes. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. We read, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be what? Established. Believe in his prophets and you shall do what? You shall be prospering. You shall prosper. God says, believe in the prophets and you will be established and you will prosper. God has in a beautiful way through the gift of prophecy, not only blessed the Seventh-day Adventist church, but he has also blessed the world through this prophetic gift. Notice the Seventh-day Adventist church today around the world has more than 7,000 schools from primary all the way to university level. Hospitals and clinics number 600 plus. Publishing houses more than 60. Sanitariums 
29. ADRA, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, present, helping humanity in more than 130 countries, media ministry, retirement villages, nursing homes, and the list could go on and on and on. God has blessed not only the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but God has blessed the entire world through the gift of prophecy. Do you eat Weepix? Weepix is produced by guess who? Sanitarium, which is owned and operated by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The Seventh-day Adventist Church leads the world in health and well-being. And it's not because Seventh-day Adventists are brighter and smarter than the rest of the world population, than the rest of the Christian churches out there. No, 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 no. The reason why the Seventh-day Adventist church has been blessed more than any other Protestant church in the last 150 years is because God has placed His gift of prophecy in the church. It is as if, well, it's not as if, God has Himself, through the gift of Ellen White, through the gift of prophecy, I should say, through Ellen White, God has been giving clear and direct instructions to the people of God to share with the world on how they can not only live better in this world, but how they can more importantly prepare for the world to come. Amen? God raised up Ellen White to prepare a people who will prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus, the greatest event in all of human history. That is why God gave the gift of prophecy. That is the sole reason it was to prepare God's people to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. Before God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world the first time, God raised up a prophet by the name of who? John the Baptist to prepare the world, to prepare the people of God for the first coming of Jesus. And Revelation 12 verse 17 tells us that before the second coming of Jesus, that God would once again raise up a prophet to prepare the people of God, to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. Can you see how God is working in an identical manner as He did some 2,000 years ago at the first advent of Jesus? It's so, so clear. I am so looking forward to the coming of Jesus, my friend. I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Are you looking forward to the coming of Jesus? Won't that be a great and awesome day when we kneel, not stand, but when we kneel at the feet of Jesus? And forever thank Him for His wonderful sacrifice, for His wonderful gift of salvation that He has so beautifully bestowed upon all of us because of His wonderful sacrifice at Calvary. What does the Apostle Paul say regarding genuine prophets of God? Notice what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. These words again, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise what? prophecies. Test all things and hold fast to what is what? Good. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Test it and hold fast to what is good. I want to encourage you to test the gift of prophecy. I have tested and, 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 and tasted, as the Bible says, and seen that the Lord is good. There are two books that I especially love, that I especially cherish, And they are the two books that she has written, two of her most popular books, Steps to Christ, 
translated in more than 100 languages and the desire of ages. A book on the life of Jesus Christ, a beautiful book on the life of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do two things. I want to invite you to read one or both of these books. And I want you to ask yourself the question, two questions. And those two questions are, what am I, what I am reading? Is it in harmony with God's word? Is what I'm reading in these two, in these two books in harmony with what God says? Is it true to the Bible? Number two, do these books point me to Jesus? Do these books point me to Jesus? And if the answer is yes to both of those questions, I encourage you to hold fast, hold fast, cherish and enjoy and be blessed through the gift of prophecy. I want to pray that God will bless us as we test all things and hold fast to what is good. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for all of your gifts that you have given to us, including the gift of prophecy. Father, as we test the things that have been written in these beautiful books for our admonition Mm -hmm. to prepare us for your soon return, Father, may we treasure these writings and be blessed by them and share them far and wide to prepare not only ourselves, but to prepare many others for your soon return. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3ABN Australia.org.au.